This podcast is produced by Discipleship.org, championing Jesus' way of disciple-making. For a 10% discount on the National Disciple-Making Forum this October in Nashville, Tennessee, register at Discipleship.org and use the promotional code PODCAST. Producing this episode, I'm Chad Harrington. A few years ago, Bill Hull was trying to figure out how to make a lasting impact for disciple-making as he moved toward the fourth quarter of his life. He wanted to pass on his message to someone younger who could take on his mantle and carry on his ministry. He serendipitously met a guy named Brandon Cook. I asked Bill how it all started. It started when I introduced myself to him one day, and he was quite young. I think he was 29 years old or something, and I said, I'm, hello, I'm Bill Hall, and if you ever want to talk or have coffee, uh, let me know. And he ignored me because essentially he had no idea who I was or anything that I had to say. You're just some random guy. Just some random guy who offered to have coffee with him, which yeah. meant nothing to him. Mm-hmm. Maybe just a bit weird. <laughs> so, where did you Where did you meet him? Uh, it was at a bishop's consecration. It was a oh. meeting. You know, it was in a church. My name's Brandon Cook. I'm the co-founder with Bill Hole of the Bonhoeffer Project, and we work with pastors and church leaders to get clear about what it means and what it's going to take to become a disciple-maker who raises up disciples who make disciples. So Bill lives in Long Beach. We both live in Long Beach. And right after I became a pastor, he, we were at, I think it was the ordination of a bishop in the Anglican Church, which I'm not Anglican, but um, I was there with some friends, and we all hang out together. So Bill found out that I was a pastor, had just become a pastor, and uh, walked up to me and introduced himself, and a really nice guy. I didn't know who he was. And he said, if you ever want to have coffee, let me know. And um, I thought, well, thank you. But I had no context really for, for why he was inviting me out. And um, But I ran into him a few weeks later on the street. I was with a friend of mine. We ran into Bill. And Bill is hilarious. Um, if you spend any time with him, you'll discover, you'll, you'll experience his sense of humor quickly. So we all started joking and laughing, and then he, Bill walked away, and my friend said, do you know who that is? And I said, yeah, that's Bill Hull. And um, my friend said, yeah, he's a really big deal. And I thought, oh, <laughs> okay, okay. Uh, all right. Because I hadn't read any of his books, didn't know who he was. He finally figured out that I had something to do with this book called The Disciple-Making Pastor. He read the book. He got real excited. He called me up and wanted to get together. We did which led to several years of interacting around his church where he's pastor. And So I got, his, I got Bill's book, The Disciple-Making Pastor, and read it, and it was, you know, it was like manna in the wilderness. Uh, coming in as a pastor, I immediately, I didn't have words for it, but I immediately felt the pressure to keep the show going, what I call the show, which is like, you know, mainly Sunday morning gatherings and um justifying why we exist as a church and having a good show. And I was, you know, I was learning to teach and I felt a lot of pressure because I was never planning on being a pastor to figure it out pretty quickly. And Bill's conversations around discipleship were so just something within me immediately said, yes, this is it. I can give my life to this. I can give myself to not trying to run an organization, not trying to create the slickest show in town but living in the question, how does transformation happen? How are people actually transformed to live in love like Jesus? So that book was just one of those, you know, had Jesus's fingerprints all over it for me. And then, so, so I called Bill and said, Hey, can we get together and talk? We started getting together regularly. I asked if he would journey with me. Um, 
as a pastor, as I sought to uh, pursue disciple-making in our context, one thing led to another, and we became really good friends throughout that process. And um, Bill had this vision to do what he was doing with me and what we were doing together in a broader context, which is how um, the Bonhoeffer Project was born. And um, he invited me in, and um, so we've been at it about a year and a half now. I'd give him ideas, and he'd go do it and make it work, and then I'd give him another idea, and he'd go make it work. When you say give him ideas, what kind of ideas are we talking about? I'd say, well, how do I, you know, work with my leaders? And I'd give, I'd say, well, do X, Y, and Z. And he'd go do X, Y, and Z, and it'd work. (laughs) And so I I was thinking, this is unusual. Everything I tell him to do, he goes and does, and it works. So I said, this is a special person. Hmm. So then it just occurred to me that how I wanted to spend the rest of my life And as a result, I thought of the Bonhoeffer project or the Bonhoeffer concept. And then I wasn't released by the God. And I didn't, what held me back was I just didn't know if I could do that because of my age, because I didn't have enough time to really fully bring this dream into reality. So, uh, even, how much time do you feel like you have left? Well, I gave I give it five years, you know, from the start to go. Yeah. Uh, I, I may be around longer than that. I probably will be uh, by you know, if you go by insurance charts. But who knows? <laughs> but the thing is that I'm not going to be at my best in ten years yeah. or fifteen years. So I, I needed to have a protege. I needed to have somebody I could train who could come along with me and who then could take over and take it further than I could ever take it. You're listening to the Disciple Makers Podcast. We bring you stories of disciple makers who are making disciples that make disciples in the North American context. Today's episode is Bill Hull's story. Bill and his co-founder of the Bonhoeffer Project are devoted to creating disciple makers. I asked Bill, how did you know that Brandon was the guy you wanted to start this project with? Well, I had a dream one night, woke up and... God seemed to be saying very strongly to me, you need to do this with him. So I called him up. You like had a literal dream while you were sleeping. Yeah, right. What was the dream? It just, Brandon, he just came into, his face came into my, but what I, what I did was I, I just said, well, I need to talk to him. So I talked to him and, and he said, yeah, I'd like to do that. Was it really that easy to? Yeah, it was. It was. He was already. God had you had told him to do things before. It wasn't yes. the first time. It would too, God had been working on him and working on me, so it was really easy. Bill said that he had a, a literal dream when he was founding the Bonhoeffer Project that you should be the guy that he does it with. As part of how God was working on him for this partnership, um, how was God working on you to get, get you to join the Bonhoeffer Project where you knew that you wanted to join it? <clears throat> yeah, great question. I didn't have a dream, uh, and I didn't have a vision. That would have been nice. <laughs> but I, I experienced just an inter- a huge internal yes of, I, man, I can, I can give myself, I can give my life to this, to being a pastor who seeks uh, to create a culture where people are learning to live and love like Jesus and to walk with other pastors in that same journey. I felt like this is my tribe. This is my calling. And I think for me, the, it, it just felt like in line with my calling, which I knew through my passion. I guess that's one of the ways that Jesus clearly speaks to us within the desires that he's given us. So for me, it was just more like an an experience of, yes, this, uh, I can give my life to this. 
So what exactly is the vision of the Bonhoeffer Project, Brandon? It's to uh, journey with pastors and leaders to become disciple makers, which means making disciples who make disciples in their context, whatever that context is, whether, uh, whether it's a church, where it's another ministry or life context, it's journeying with them to put first things first, to become discipleship first leaders who get really clear about what the vision is and what it's going to take uh, to be a disciple maker. And that plays out differently in every context. Um, but it's about being in the journey with them and helping them craft uh, theology, strategies, and praxis for how to pull that off. The Bonhoeffer Project is a year-long community that is formed, a cohort, if you like, where men and women join together, meeting four hours once a month, and then they do work on their ministry context during the other times of the month, and they form a community. So then they are responsible to one another. They're, they live in covenant with one another. They don't live in the same homes. In fact, they don't even live in the same state sometimes because some of the work is done online. But they start, or at some point, there's a retreat where they come together, get to know each other quite well. And so that's really what the Bonhoeffer Project is. It's named after Diedrich Bonhoeffer in his honor, his book, The Cost of Discipleship, and because of his grand experiment between 1935 and 40 at Finkenwalde in Germany, the preacher's seminary, the confessing church schooling that was exact illegal and closed by the Gestapo in 1938, and then it went underground for a couple of years after that before... Uh, uh, everything else changed. But that's what the Bonhoeffer Project is. And what's your primary goal? If you could have one outcome from the Bonhoeffer Project, what would it be? Uh, I think it's a disciple-making leader who believes in a theology of discipleship in the sense that discipleship is a natural part of salvation, who has a clear definition of a disciple and has a clear plan to make disciples in their ministry context, and they're zealous for it, it's in their DNA, for them not to do it would be a sin. So it's making discipleship um, a part of the normal Christian life, and you're, you're cultivating that desire and that outcome through these, these groups, these cohorts. Is that right? Exactly. Awesome. You talked about being a discipleship-first kind of person. Mm -hmm. What does that mean, to be a discipleship-first person? It means it's your first impulse, that to follow Christ's command to make disciples of all nations, meaning all people groups, beginning where I am with my life and the people that God has called me to love, who he's put in my life, and then through my profession, through my work, also through my prayers, through my giving, through my church, whether I be a layperson or a leader, that it's the first thing that I think of, that I'm his follower, I'm his student, I'm his apprentice, and I'm learning how to live my life as though Jesus were living it. That's really, to me, what a discipleship first person is. Yeah, and would you say that that's your primary message for the Capital C Church right now is that we need to be discipleship-first kind of people? Yes, or 
maybe even better, a Jesus-first kind of person. Yeah. <laughs> but there is no difference in my mind right. between those two things. Yeah, and the only potential difference would be becoming obsessed or focused on a, a philosophy or a, a method as opposed to a person. Yeah, we're not really talking about ideologues yeah. here as much as just people who are committed to learning from Jesus how to live their life. And if Jesus were a plumber, what kind of plumber would he be? You know, what kind of school teacher would he be? What kind of parent would he be? You're starting to sound like Dallas Willard. Do you know him? <laughs> did did well, you know him while you were... Uh, uh, Dallas Willard and I, uh, I was among his many friends. Yeah. I counted myself uh, fortunate to know him. And yes, he certainly has had a, a, a deep impact on my life, not only as a philosopher and teacher, because that was very inviting to me because I love living out of my head, but also the way in which he conducted his life, the kind of person he was. He could tell you off and you'd thank him. <laughs> Did he ever do that to you? Uh, in, his no, in his own way, yes. What happened? Well, I think he, uh, he told me that essentially I really didn't have a theology of discipleship myself, that I was more being anecdotal in my thinking and that I really needed to address what the nature of the gospel was and then how that would determine the kind of disciple, a person I am, and how the kind of disciples I make. I mean, when did he tell you that? Oh, it was over a lunch. Okay. Yeah. So you were sitting down at lunch with Dallas Willard, and you were talking with him, and he said, you don't really, I mean, how did he say you don't well, he really would, have He would that. never say it that way. <laughs> right. He, he, he would just say, uh, I said, well, my, I have a theology of discipleship in my books, the Jesus Christ Disciple Maker, Disciple Making Pastor, Disciple Making Church. And he said, Bill, I've, I haven't read all of your work, but I don't see it there. And how did that make you feel when he said that? It was deflating at first. <laughs> but then I took the bait. Uh -huh. I said, so what are you talking about then? What is a theology of discipleship? And so then we started talking about that, and that's what my book, Conversion and Discipleship, is. It's a response to that. The book is dedicated to Dallas Willard because after his death, I felt inspired to write this discipleship theology, so to speak. Yeah. Yeah, and I have a personal connection with the year that he died because that just happened to be the year I decided to read everything every Christian-oriented book that he's written. Yes. And that was in 2013, mm -hmm. and he passed away May 8th. And I was listening to one of his books on audio. And so it's really meaningful to me personally, his life's work. And, um, and so it's cool to just hear how he impacted you personally. Mm -hmm. And now we're in our second year of the Bonhoeffer Project. We started off with two cohorts uh, of about... That was totally of about 15 people, probably, and now we have uh, 57 people this year, and we expect that there'll be more next year. How many would you like to see over the next year join the cohorts? Uh, maybe 100. And then I really believe someday it'll keep multiplying, and it will have all kinds of tentacles and divisions and, and all those kinds of things and do, a lot of number, and do quite a few number of things. But really that the heart of it is uh, working... What distinguishes us, I think, is that we start upstream with theology. We don't start the conversation on discipleship at Make Disciples. We start it with, what's your message? 
What's your gospel? Why does that matter so much? In other words, a lot of people are looking for practical tips and tricks, for lack of a better term. Why do you start with theology? Well, you know, it doesn't. If you have the wrong gospel, uh, it doesn't really matter how how much skill you have and how many good your materials are and all that. You'll just end up making inferior disciples. Uh, you'll always be uh, paddling upstream against the tide, which I guess that's not even a proper analogy. <laughs> <laughs> but the thing is that uh, if you if you have a legalistic gospel, you're going to have a legalistic disciple. If you have a consumeristic gospel, you're going to have a consumeristic disciple. If you're right. going to if you have a uh, prosperity gospel, you have a prosperity gospel. I mean, disciple. So if you want to try to get a Christ-like disciple, then you're going to have to have a gospel that matches that. So in one succinct statement, what what is it that you are doing in, with fronting your your disciple making with theology. In other words, what's your goal in in starting with theology? The goal is to have leaders who have a gospel that naturally includes uh, discipleship, and that when they make disciples with their plan, they are creating a Christ-like disciple who lives for others. We're taking a break from the story to hear more about how you can grow as a disciple maker by joining the national conversation that's going on right now. For starters, join the discipleship.org National Forum for Disciple Making at Long Hollow Baptist Church in Nashville, Tennessee, this October 6th and 7th. This is a two-day conference specifically for you. If you're a leader of any type in the church, paid or unpaid, volunteer or on staff, Pastors and laypersons alike will learn best practices for disciple-making today. It's on a Thursday and a Friday so that you can travel from just about anywhere in the country and still make it back for Sunday. This year's theme for the forum is called Culture Shift, Back to Jesus' Way of Disciple-Making. This conference is the first of its kind because 10 disciple-making organizations will all be in one place at the same time. One of those 10 tracks is hosted by The Bonhoeffer Project which Bill Hull and Brandon Cook started together. Here's Brandon on why he's coming to the National Forum on Disciple-Making this fall. I, I want to I be as close to the conversation of people who are wrestling through this as I can get. Um, I mean, obviously, disciple, you know, the word is linked to the word learning, and so surrounding myself with people that I can learn from, um, that I can steal ideas from, <laughs> um, and, and journey with, I'm going to do whatever... This is life priority for me, so whatever i got to do to be there and to be near those conversations, I'm going to do it. Register for the National Forum for Disciple-Making at discipleship.org. Get a 10% discount if you're coming by yourself or bringing a group that's not yet registered by using the promotional code PODCAST. And now back to the story. When Bill Hull started meeting with Brandon at the beginning of their friendship, Bill said that he would give Brandon different tasks to do. It was like what Paul did with Timothy. He'd tell Brandon to go do something, and he'd go do it. That's about as simple as it gets. But it served as a great way for Bill to train up Brandon in disciple-making. So I asked Brandon if he remembered some of the things that Bill had told him to do at the time. He told me that the main thing Bill had him do was to think through his theology of what the gospel is and what a disciple is, because solid theology provides the proper foundation for making disciples. Brandon shares more about this with us, and then applies it to his context in Long Beach, California, where he pastors at a church. Just a heads up, if you hear him say LBCF, that's the initials for his church, Long Beach Christian Fellowship. Also, 
If you want to know more about the Bonhoeffer Project, go to thebonhoefferproject.com. Well, we focused a lot on, um, okay, so a lot of, how do I say this? The first thing to get clarity on is what do we mean by uh, discipleship? What do we mean by the gospel? What do we mean by a disciple? And uh, you got to get clear on those things before you can really get into, okay, how do we, how are we going to produce the kind of disciple that we're describing? I think a lot of times the process is, hey, this is a good curriculum, or hey, this, we like this author, let's use this thing and we'll plug it in and we'll make disciples through it. Bill was really intentional to say, to make you work through what's the gospel, what is a disciple. Now, once you, ha- once you have clarity around that, you can really get into how do we make that kind of disciple. So um, rather than just jumping into, again, a curriculum or a program. So we did a lot of work around that. And, um, and it really gets into identifying a discipleship vehicle. Like Jesus had the, you know, Jesus had the 12, he also had the three. He spent, uh, you know, in-depth time with Peter, James, and John. And so we spent time thinking through what's a disciple-making vehicle in our context at Long Beach Christian Fellowship by which we can create the kind of disciples that we're envisioning to create. And in our context, the way we define that is disciples who are rooted in the grace of God, because I think that the church often teaches grace, but we're not actually in the radical nature of New Testament adoption. So we want to bring people into the full scandal of, of New Testament, a new identity adoption. That's the first thing. The second thing is um, disciples who are focused on others, on, uh, focused on presenting the kingdom of God for others, that discipleship in Jesus is always about discipleship in others. And the third thing is disciples who live an abundant life by uh, being obedient to the leading of the Spirit. And so we describe that as being adopted, being an ambassador, and being in abundance. And um, that clarity around those three things created clarity about how, how we were going to actually create those characteristics or qualities within a disciple, within our discipleship groups. So um, Bill's counsel was to don't, sk- don't skip through that process of getting clear about what the gospel is, what the gospel calls us into, what kind of disciples we want to make. And then once you ha- have answered that, then you can get really particular about what it's going to take to create that kind of disciple, which that was, um, I think that's why discipleship can't be rushed because it has to be a thoughtful process. And there's a part of me at that point in pastoring that just wanted to find a curriculum that would work, plug people into it. Um, and I think that would have short circuited the whole process. So Bill was really um, diligent to help give me, you know, to mentor me into thinking through those steps. And I'm glad to hear that his experience was that um, I, I took his counsel. Um, <laughs> because again, <laughs> a lot of this kind of felt like figuring things out in the blind. Yeah, yeah. What did you learn exactly by doing theology first in, in making disciples in your own church context? I think, number one, the value of language. We, you and I were talking earlier, Chad, about how there's some, some smart person whose name I can't remember said that there's two ways you create culture through language and through what you celebrate. And so by being really diligent to get into language, like the difference between somebody saying, you know, I go to First Baptist 
and versus saying, I'm a part of First Baptist. Well, that's a huge difference. One communicates, you know, I go to this activity. Another communicates, I'm part of something that's bigger than myself. I'm part of the community. So by, I think I learned the value of intentional language and then creating viral language that people can latch onto that creates a vision. So, for example, at LBCF, we talk about discipleship as the process by which someone is transformed to live and love like Jesus. We talk about learning to live and love like Jesus all the time. We use that phrase. And what's been cool is watching our people start to say that. So when people are sharing or people are talking or we're, you know, we're living life together, you'll hear people say, learning to live and love like Jesus. So that kind of viral language that paints a picture, a vision of, um, of what we're after, of actually becoming a people who learn to presence the kingdom of God for others as Jesus did, that the shaping of that language has paid off, you know, in spades. And we're still working on, we're always working on, um, yeah, how, how do we language what we're about? I mean, obviously language, you can stay too long in that and never, you know, you know, take action or do development of that language. But I think doing the theology uh, really helped ground me in the importance of how we speak about what we're up to. Yeah. Yeah. What else did it teach you? Because you said that it paid off in spades. I mean, that sounds like there's some some pain was saved on your end of things. Maybe some benefits came from it that you hadn't seen before. So I'm curious about that. Well, I think the the other thing I would say, I mean, one of the main things is it helped me find and identify and name and label my passion point within discipleship, which is the discipleship in Jesus always has to be discipleship that's about loving and knowing and serving others and inviting them into new life. A lot of the discipleship stuff that I studied or have seen in the church, it's all about self-development. It's all about personal development. I'm going to grow. Um, I'm going to, you know, whatever you want to call it, spiritual growth. And we never get to actually doing the things that Jesus says to do, loving your neighbor, presencing the kingdom of God, proclaiming the kingdom of God because we don't put first things first. So if you read a typical book on discipleship, often it's, you know, chapters one through nine, self-development, self-development, self-development. And then you get to chapter 10 and it's now, okay, we're going to go live this in the world. The problem is we never get there because we're not putting first things first like Jesus did. So by really getting into the theology of how Jesus made disciples, it made something clear, something that I felt intuitively, I think through, you know, I would call it the leading of the spirit, but it made something clear that Jesus started, you know, Jesus from the very beginning of his ministry trained his disciples into loving others, going to places to love and to be with and to know others, to hear their story, to humanize them, even when it was really uncomfortable for his disciples. And by seeing that, you know, it's theology, but it's really discipleship practice, by seeing that so clearly uh, in reading the Gospels at LBCF, it made us think through, how do we do this? How do we put first things first? and create a discipleship process um, that from the very beginning trains others to look at their life through the lens of being on mission, uh, which means that God is already at work. This isn't something that we made up, but Jesus is, um, the Spirit is at work within us to call us to partner with God as he makes everything new, which means that you and I don't have to save the world, but we're radically, we're called to radically love. Um, the people that God gives us to love, where we live, work, and play. That, um, spending the time fleshing that out, putting language around it, identifying uh, scriptural touch points so that we can teach clearly why we're doing what we're doing, 
I, I'm so glad that we didn't rush just again into a curriculum that said, you know, that, that, that might've gotten bogged down. I think there's a gravitational pull for people to just make discipleship about us and how we're doing. And then we end up taking it, uh, you know, we end up, um, it ends up to cease, it ceases to be discipleship um, when we lose that piece. So when Bill and I worked through the upstream, it made the values really clear about what we were trying to pull off. It wasn't just about establishing a Bible study. I mean, I love Bible study all for it. It's a part of discipleship, but wanted to create something that would multiply, that would be an open reproducing system and not a closed system. And again, putting the work in on the front end is paying off uh, as we walk through the process. Yeah, that's good, man. If you were to kind of, to summarize in one phrase, why you are a disciple making first person, what would you say if I said, why are you a disciple making first person? Um, I think I would say discipleship is the hope of the church, which is the hope of the world. Yeah, if I had to put it in one sentence, that's how I would say it. Yeah. So your vision is to journey with leaders um, to help them be discipleship first people. So how are you guys going to get there? Like, what are you actually doing in the Bonhoeffer Project? Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, we, we, we journey with leaders, and the first, there's really two arcs to what we do. The first arc is about the why and the vision of discipleship and going upstream into the theology behind it. So we take, you know, basic words like gospel, faith, repentance, and really work the theology of discipleship upstream. You know, what is the gospel? Why does it demand discipleship? What is discipleship? And then once we go upstream, the second arc becomes, okay, so how downstream, meaning in the context of your life, in speaking of the life of a leader or the context of a leader, um, what, how does this play out? So every context, every soil is different. There's universal, the call to discipleship is universal. So how in the, I think, you know, Dallas Willard said, you can only plow the soil that Jesus gives you. So how on that soil are you going to walk this out? What does it look like in your church, in your life to put discipleship first? And oftentimes, you know, that is, there's a count the cost element to that. Um, if you, as pastors oftentimes, or as leaders, our calendars are chewed up with the tyranny of the urgent, urgent um, priorities that are important things, but not necessarily discipleship things. So it's walking with leaders to have the courage to align their life with their calling and their values. That's awesome, man. How do you guys structure those relationships with the leaders that you're raising up? Yeah, so we, we do it in cohorts. Uh, we form little tribes of people who uh, respond to the same vision of, of uh, becoming discipleship first people. And we journey, our cohorts currently last for a year. We meet, uh, sometimes, depending on whether it's feasible, we all get together on a retreat. We have cohort meetings throughout the year. And the goal by the end of the year is to have a clear plan and strategy and to have already taken steps into that plan and strategy for um, integrating discipleship into each person's context. In the future, um, you know, discipleship, <laughs> becoming discipleship first people and, and integrating a plan or strategy takes more than a year. So as we head into the future, we're talking about how to continue that conversation, how to um, journey with leaders into fully integrating um, discipleship into their context. But the main vehicle that we use right now is that, that year-long cohort. That's awesome, man. 
As we wrap up here, I wanted to ask a final question. If you were to kind of sit someone down who's heard about disciple making as this like new thing, but they haven't really delved into what that means or what it looks like in their context, and you were to give them advice, uh, and I'm thinking of a leader in particular who who's hearing this kind of as a buzzword. They know it's in the mm-hmm. Bible, but they don't really know what it means right now for them, right. but they're really interested. What kind of advice would you give them if you were to kind of like enumerate um, your top pieces of maybe even three pieces of advice? Advice in terms of how to move into discipleship? Yeah, for even just like in their own life right now. And obviously that's in the context of making disciples. But um, yeah, if they're just kind of starting out their discipleship journey. I would engage them in a conversation about how they understand the gospel, the good news of Jesus, new life, a resurrection life through Jesus. And um, I would I would really try to dig into what they see the story as revealed in Scripture. I think it's N.T. Wright who talks about, you know, oftentimes our notion of, of what God is up to begins in Genesis 3 with the fall. And so we think of the gospel as, as forgiveness of sins, which obviously <laughs> is a huge part of the salvation story. But that theology rightly starts in Genesis 1. And when you start in Genesis 1, you have this notion of communion of union with God, that we're not just saved from death, but we're called into life. And so I would, I would, I would really press into what's your view of, uh, of the gospel. Um, and I think the second thing is I would wrestle with them to discover what they're passionate about, what, what their ministry or calling is within the church, within the body of Christ. And to see, I mean, I guess, you know, part of, again, part of my story is coming out of the pressure of you know, becoming a slick uh, teacher or running the slickest show and really trying to get into a vision, a sustainable vision of what ministry can be um, when you're dealing life on life and pointing out the fact that that's what, that was Jesus's model. Yes, he worked with crowds, but what he trusted to change the world was working with small groups of people in life on life contact. So I would, I would encourage them in that direction. And then I, I think if someone's just exploring there's great resources out there right now. I mean, I think storytelling is the way that people are inspired. It's one thing to talk about theology. It's another to be able to see it. So discipleship that fits, um, that uh, Bobby Harrington, Alex Absalom wrote, Bill's books on discipleship, I think Conversion and Discipleship by Bill Hull is a fabulous book. I try to put resources in their hand that inspire them into the why. Why is discipleship? first, because I think if people can fill out that story and put language around it, if you have a vision that can call you, you know, if you have a big enough vision, it'll call you through anything. So I'd work with them to get clear on why Jesus's vision was discipleship. You've been listening to the Disciple Makers podcast by discipleship.org. Learn how you can grow as a disciple maker by visiting discipleship.org. Make sure to register and join us this October for the National Disciple Makers Forum in Nashville, Tennessee.